Kadapchi and Scott Pham. Thanks for listening. In New York City, I'm Doran Marina. From the campus of the University of Michigan, streaming live on the web at wcbn.org, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The views and opinions expressed on WCBN Public Affairs Programming are solely those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent those of WCBN as a whole or the licensees of this station, the regents of the University of Michigan. The following is an encore presentation of Closets Are for Clothes. Blessing a same-sex marriage in no way harms any heterosexual marriage. It doesn't hurt it. It doesn't harm it in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't demean it. It just simply says there's another kind of loving relationship out here that is just as valid, just as important, just as meaningful for our community. Closets are for clothes. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. The topic is marriage. In the United States, marriage is governed by state law. Each state is free to set the conditions for a valid marriage subject to limits set by the state's own constitution and the U.S. Constitution. A state can refuse to recognize a marriage if the marriage violates a strong public policy of the state, even if the marriage was legal in the state where it was performed. According to the Human Rights Campaign Organization, statewide prohibitions against marriage for same-sex couples are in place in most states, either in the form of statutory law or as an amendment to the state's constitution. There are currently 29 states with amendments to their state constitutions that restrict marriage to a man and a woman. Thirteen more states have laws that restrict marriage to being only between a man and a woman. If you go to the Human Rights Campaign website at hrc.org, you can see a map of the United States and where the issue of marriage equality stands. In favor, five states, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Iowa, Maine, and Vermont. In those states, same-sex couples can obtain marriage licenses. In 2008, New York State began recognizing marriages by same-sex couples obtained in another state. That's the background. Dr. Julie Nemechek is the president of Julie Nemechek Consulting, which is a firm specializing in diversity consulting, training, and advocacy. She is an ordained minister and a former professor who lost her job when she came out as transgender at Spring Arbor University. She is currently the co-director of Michigan Equality, which is a Michigan statewide organization for education and advocacy to promote equality and eliminate discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. I spoke uh, with her at her home in Spring Arbor regarding same-sex marriage in Michigan. Julie, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here, David. We are going to talk today about the issues of marriage and uh, legislation of marriage, uh, the legalization of the wording and the terminology that we use, uh, what the history has been uh, in the fight for gay and lesbians to marry uh, across the country, 
and uh, what the plans are for the future, where things are now, obviously. And uh, we're going to talk about that and also uh, what couples are to do if they want to get together and form this union in some kind of a legal way. So let's let's first talk about the terminology we're using. We, we sort of are so used to the concept of marriage, and uh, many of us are used to the concept of marriage being a man and a woman in a legalized union. Is that traditional as far as the way we've understood it? Well, kind of. Uh, technically, everything is a civil union. Is in our country uh, to get married, you have to first of all go to your uh, local county seat or city clerk and get a marriage license. Uh, it's kind of ironic that the most egregious violation of the separation of church and state happens in marriage, when a rabbi or a priest or minister acts as an agent of the state in consummating that civil union, and if it's done in a, a religious setting, calling it a marriage as well. Um, there's actually a, a effort in California to change the law there so that all all marriages are called civil unions, and so that everything together is uh, under the same umbrella. Uh, but calling what you call it does make a difference, because having the same rights is a significant part of what the battle is all about. There's almost 1,200 different rights that uh, people who have um, the right of marriage, who are called a married couple, have that those that are in domestic partnerships or have just been living together as partners for even decades don't have. 1,200. 1,200 <laughs> federal rights. Now, you know, the, the state laws vary from place to place, but those are just federal rights. And, and the state laws would include, certainly, the federal laws. Yeah, they would. Uh, um, part of what, you know, the, the, the DOMA, the uh, Domestic uh, Defense of Marriage Act that's in the, uh, in the United States Congress applies simply to federal employees in terms of benefits that apply to federal employees. So, the, you know, the federal government hasn't taken a position on marriage other than for those kinds of issues with the benefits that relate to federal employees. Okay. And when I say the term uh, gay, I'm also including uh, lesbians, I'm including, you know, bisexuals. I'm, I'm using gay as, a, as more of a generic term. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, we first have it, uh, we, have, we have two individuals who are a couple, and they, wanna, they, wanna, they want to do something with that relationship, and they want to essentially legitimize it in society, right? Because we have, uh, we have watered-down terms now that we've been using, right? We have civil union. Mm -hmm. we've, we've seen that. And we have domestic partnership. And it, are those the same things as marriage? Um, no, they're not the same thing, and they're not even the same thing as each other. You know, domestic partnerships, that relates primarily to health care benefits and, and benefits that relate to um, retirement and those kind of things. And more and more organizations are going around prohibitions against marriage and giving same-sex partners domestic partner benefits so that they can have those whether or not they are married or are in a, a civil union. Uh, if they're in a civil union or uh, some other kind of a recognized state, they may or may not even get those benefits depending on what state they live in. Is a civil union, is a uh, domestic partnership, is that a legitimate way to recognize the relationship? In part, it recognizes the relationship legally as it relates to some benefits, but it isn't the same as marriage. You know, uh, a marriage 
is uh, a lifetime commitment uh, and often they last that long sometimes you know things happen and even in those that are the most uh, ardent proponents uh, of marriage being just between a man and a woman you know the rate of divorce is about 50 percent uh, and so even those um, most religious of the groups that would argue for keeping the sanctity of marriage have to recognize that it isn't that big a deal in terms of its sanctity already um, but marriage it's a special step, and it's recognized that way in a few states now, uh, and I think will be a growing number of states, uh, but it isn't the same as saying we have a civil union or a domestic partnership um, emotionally and even spiritually. I'm an ordained minister, and I've performed a lot of marriages, and that extra step between going to the courthouse and getting a license and having a public commitment that is recognized by your friends, your family, and the state uh, is a significant difference. Right. So we, we have a we have a uh, we have a legal definition, and we have to work within the we have to work within those terms because that's that's we're in that kind of world. We have to speak in terms which are legitimized in a, in a legal sense. And any couple who's been around for uh, been together for whatever amount of time, a year, five years, 20 years, whatever, they may be in legal terms called a domestic partnership or a civil union of some kind, but as far as they're concerned, they're married. Uh, absolutely. Marriage, to some extent, is, you know, is a an act of the heart and the will where two people say we love each other and we're going to commit to be with each other uh, that makes it um, a marriage in one sense you know this the legal recognition of it has more to do with benefits survivor benefits health care benefits um, tax benefits that come from uh, the re legal recognition of the union but a union can take place without the federal government or state government ever saying bless you Right. And many people don't even need to have any piece of paper to uh, establish the reality and the significance of the relationship. That's true. Um, but I think a big part of the push for marriage equality goes beyond the issue of marriage. It's saying uh, gay and lesbian people, transgender people for that matter as well, um, have the same rights, are as equal as anybody else, and should have the same rights and privileges as anybody else. So it, in many ways, is not just an issue about marriage. It's a, at its very core an issue of civil rights. Okay, so what is the current state of marriage for gay, lesbian, and transgender people in the United States? <laughs> it's all over the map. Uh, in some states, you can be married legally, and that state will recognize your marriage, uh, and it has some of benefits that might accrue to the state. It doesn't impact at all the federal benefits because of uh, DOMA, and it may not have validity in other states. There are a couple states that do not yet uh, perform same-sex marriages but recognize the marriages that have taken place in other states or other countries uh, as being legitimate for uh, whatever benefits might be applied to that uh, city or in the case of the District of Columbia, the District of Columbia. It depends on where you live, what you can do, and even then a state will have a certain policy uh, establishing marriage, establishing some kind of union officially, legally, as far as with rights and benefits, and then what the United States government decides is, is going to be wholly separate? Uh, uh, it can be. Um, 
there's efforts uh, underway to change uh, the DOMA or the Defense of Marriage Act to recognize marriages that take place in the in the states, and some would call this even a constitutional issue where, of recognizing states' rights. When a state says someone is married, the federal government should recognize that in terms of a, a constitutional issue of recognizing inner commerce and the, and the ability of the states to have their their own um, on protection. The Iowa decision about same-sex marriage was an incredibly good one in the sense that it said that, that the role of the government is to make sure that everybody, uh, every citizen of that government, in this case the government of Iowa, um, has equal protection under the law. And what they argued uh, in their unanimous decision is that to deny same-sex marriage is to deny equal protection to some of the citizens of Iowa. Uh, and that kind of logic uh, applied across the board and perhaps even in the corridors of the, of the Supremes in, in uh, D.C. has the potential, I think, to recognize that the gay people are people that can fall in love. The defense of marriage is this uh, barrier right now to gays, lesbians, and transgendered folk from, from getting married. How did it come to be? Well, it, it came to be because of a, of a push that uh, took place a few years ago to get that uh, in the protections in the federal government. And what it does is it simply says that as it relates to federal law and federal um, determination of uh, employees that marriage can only be, be between a man and a woman. So there's still a lot of latitude even with the Defense of Marriage Act to say that um, the government can recognize other marriages. And one of the issues that's hotly contested right now is that in the census of 2010, uh, if a couple who's gay or lesbian identifies themselves as married, the census takers are to ignore that, which is incredibly uh, discriminatory in terms of recognizing what many of the states have already said, that, yes, this is a marriage. Uh, as far as a man and a, and a woman, it, can a transgendered person be legally considered to be—how does that fit into it? That complicates things significantly. So far— uh, so far, no state has undone a marriage that was done between a man and a woman and one or the other transitioned. Um, Joanne and I will have been married uh, 37 years in a few weeks, uh, uh, June 3rd, um, and we're legally married in Michigan, have all the rights and benefits of anyone who was in a heterosexual marriage. but. It, you know, for the world, it looks like we're in a lesbian relationship. So uh, same-sex marriage can happen legally. So the, the history has been that there has been a uh, movement. We, we have the, the, the establishment of the Defense of Marriage Act. And, again, that's a, that's a play on words because what it's really doing is it's a prevention yes. of marriage act to prevent gays and lesbians and transgender folk from getting married. And so we've seen uh, a state-by-state -state effort now. Yeah, and it's—, it's uh, the momentum is on our side. In many ways right now we're on the crest of a wave that is a very positive wave. Yeah, DOMA should probably be called the Denial of Marriage Act instead of the Defense of Marriage Act because it really limits um, marriage for just a certain kind of people. One of my favorite bumper stickers says, love is tender and knows no gender, and it denies those that might, you know, not be traditional in their sexual orientation the right to have that marriage. But the grassroots efforts have been incredible, um, and sometimes they've been in the referendum level, sometimes they've been in the legal level uh, in terms of challenging laws that prohibited 
same-sex marriage like in Iowa. That was challenging a law. In California, of course, it was a, a constitutional proposition issue. Um, and so it varies from state to state in terms of how they're doing it. If it's done as a law, and in some ways it's easier to challenge, but in other ways it's easier to f defend. The Supreme Court in Iowa is the determiner of the law. When they rule unanimously that same-sex marriage is legal, the only way to now to change that would be to change their state constitution. What does it mean for us in Michigan with these other states? And we're seeing in the past few years, we've seen a number of states fall into place with legalizing um, marriage between a gay individuals, lesbian individuals. And we've also, I'm sure, seen that there is work in, in, in process to turn that over. Well, yeah, anytime a positive thing happens, at least from an LGBT perspective, uh, there's those that want to try to overturn it, as, you know, in California, um, overturning a, a Supreme Court decision with a proposition. Those kinds of things will happen. But in Michigan, um, I'm optimistic about the future for two reasons. One, of all the things that are happening in states all around us are causing the polling data to change significantly in Michigan. Now, if you combine domestic partnerships and uh, or civil unions and marriage, uh, more than half the population in Michigan is in favor of recognizing legally same-sex relationships. Uh, and that's a significant change. The other thing that bodes well for the future is a generational thing. Uh, if you look at the, the data for those that are 65 or over, uh, about 80% would oppose same-sex marriage. If you look at those that are 20-something and under, it's almost exactly the opposite. And so as time marches forward, society is moving in the direction of justice for LGBT people. Well, yeah, you, you say that there uh, a lot of the society, a lot of our population, the majority is more and more accepting gay and lesbian relationships and unions and domestic partnerships, but there seems to be this barrier with the word marriage. Well, part of why there's a barrier is that some people think it would um, change religion, and it really has no bearing on that at all. Uh, marriage is a religious ceremony in many instances, but, but what we call marriage isn't always a religious ceremony. Two people can get married at City Hall. Um, and it's important to understand that nothing in any of the legislation that's passed in any of the states or is being proposed in any of the states would require any church to marry someone they didn't want to marry or any synagogue or any uh, mosque, you know, that, that, that religious freedom still exists for a church to marry whomever they want and to speak against same-sex marriage. There's no silencing of, of it at all. It's just simply saying, the laws are simply saying that if a same-sex couple wants to be married and can find someone who will perform that religious ceremony, they can have a religious marriage. And then, and then it's up to their own church and their local church whether or not they want to acknowledge that or even provide a place for such a ceremony. Yeah, the, the Iowa decision was interesting in the case in the sense that they didn't weren't asked to address the religious issue, but in their closing pages they did. It's a 69-page argument, so it's or decision, and it, it takes a little while to wade through. But they said behind all of this are some religious issues, and while we recognize that there are people of fervor who believe religious fervor who believe that marriage should only be for heterosexual couples, it went on to say that there are people of equal fervor on a religious basis who would say that same-sex marriage should be honored. And so it, it separated the whole uh, 
religious issue from their decision saying the role of the state is to give equal protection to all its citizens. And anybody can attend any church they want, and anybody can uh, be re refused to marry anyone they want. Is it possible that this is also um, um, uh, a strategy to possibly divide and conquer? Is it uh, an effort to let's make it a religious issue and let's also make it a, a civil uh, issue, and, w and we'll split those people up, and then they'll be fewer in number and easier to defeat? Well, I, I think you can see the desperateness of those opposing uh, same-sex marriage because they're shifting arguments as fast as uh, sand dune in Michigan. You know, the, um, the arguments uh, being religious on one hand, and then now Michael Steele, uh, the chairman of the Republican Party, saying, well, we can't, businesses can't afford it. You know, small businesses, it'll hurt small businesses, well, which is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, the the benefits of to a society of recognizing marriage are are, are profound. You know, the couples that uh, are in a marital relationship live longer. Uh, they have happier lives. Their children are better protected uh, and better cared for. Uh, and you can go on and on and on through the data that shows that marriage is a healthy thing, uh, whether it's a same-sex marriage or a heterosexual relationship. And those that are talking about adoption often like to say, well, it isn't the same. Uh, you know, the same, there's no data anywhere to say that those that children that are being raised by a same-sex couple uh, are being raised in any way inferior to those that are being raised in a heterosexual home. And the same is true of marriage. You know, marriage is marriage. What you were speaking of just a moment ago, you're talking about marriage being healthy. It's uh, good for the children. It's good for it's good for the couples get involved. It's good for everybody. I mean, that's got to be based on data, though, of heterosexual relationships, right? Well, it is based on data of heterosexual relationships, but there's a growing body of research that is looking at same-sex couples, too, and recognizing that uh, the, the ability to have uh, the recognition of a relationship uh, strengthens that relationship in ways that uh, that are profound. You know, to say we're living together is quite a bit different than saying we're married. Uh, and even if it's just a commitment ceremony, which many couples choose to do, um, same-sex couples choose to do, it's an extra step that says we are serious about this relationship and they're going to do all that we can to make it work. Let's talk about what the other states are doing. And I'd like to see what's, what has been working and what has not been working in this. Basically, it's, we're building a ladder, we're building a path to really get marriage accepted on a countrywide basis. What are the other states doing? It depends. In some states, uh, the legislative process has been the easiest, where the state senate, the state house, have passed resolutions um, simply saying that marriage is marriage and is for same-sex couples as well as heterosexual couples, and the state would recognize both. And then if the governor signs it into the law, or even if he doesn't, they can override that, it becomes the law of that state. In other uh, states, it's constitutional amendments have passed banning that kind of relationship, and so the effort to undo that constitutional law is something that has to take place. What makes Michigan different than Iowa is that in Iowa, it was a um, legislation that was 
brought to the Supreme Court in, in Iowa. And uh, the court simply ruled that this legislation is good. In Michigan, we have a constitutional amendment that can, would have to be overturned, and that can be done. And uh, that process is likely to happen in our lifetimes, I think. <laughs> well, now, what is the difference between a resolution and a constitutional amendment in terms of its creation and in terms of its uh, ability to remain and its ability to uh, get overturned? Well, in many ways, a law is uh, easier to, uh, to change um, because it isn't embedded into the Constitution of the state. So the states that have laws are subject to the rallying efforts of people that are trying to undo that by changing the state's constitution. So if an effort, for example, in Iowa to change the state's constitution was successful, they would have to uh, make that law moot. Uh, and that's kind of what happened in, in California. The California Supreme Court said, yes, marriage is legal in California. And then Proposition 8 said, no, we've changed the constitution. It is no longer legal. What, uh, why, why make a constitutional amendment versus making a law? What's the difference? A constitutional amendment is harder to undo. You know, once it's, um, once it's, the, the Constitution is what is used to interpret the laws of a state. Uh, constitution is what is used to interpret the federal laws. So once a constitutional amendment is in place, all laws underneath that, including laws that might relate to health care, might relate to domestic partner benefits, might relate to adoption, have to be interpreted in light of that constitutional amendment. Uh, now, undoing Proposition 2 in Michigan, which made marriage between a man and a woman um, the law of the land, the Constitution, is something that can be done in at least three different ways. Uh, and what effort will be tried is kind of still up in the air right now. So it's been an ongoing, uh, you know, th again, this has been happening for years that, that there, is a, there are people who are trying to create marriage, they're trying to legitimize the marriage between the gays, uh, a gay and lesbian uh, population. And there's been, just like uh, there's been an opposing uh, group of people who are trying to constantly battle it and prevent them from doing it. And, and they're doing all this in this legal a framework, and and if you're not familiar or savvy with with laws and how they're how they're made and how things happen at the state capitol, then it can be very confusing. And and as a as a individual, as a citizen, as a voter, what can you do? Well, an important thing is is lobbying, uh, and by that I mean simply making sure that your senator or representative or both, preferably, know where you stand on the issue. Um, it doesn't take more than a phone call or an email. A personal letter still works. Um, those are all good. Dropping in to see them in Lansing. Um, that, that personal touch makes a big difference, and the legislatures do pay attention to that. They don't pay much attention to the mass emails and robocalls that they get, uh, but when someone takes the time to write a personal email or to call and give a personal message, it makes a difference. That's one thing that can be done, because one of the ways we can change Proposition 2 on doing in Michigan is through the legislature. If there were a two-third vote in both of the houses of Congress, our state Congress, um, that would undo Proposition 2. Uh, within 40 days of that vote, it would be moot based on whatever new law they passed or new constitutional change they made. So one of the avenues is through the legislature. Are they going to acknowledge and really consider somebody who does not actually vote in their own district? 
they won't treat you rudely, but those that are in their own district is who they're going to pay attention to. Because once a politician is elected, their prime priority after that is to be reelected. And so they want to know what people in their district are, are saying. So, yes, you can send emails to, and to everybody on, uh, in the state, but um, those that are your representatives are the most important um, in part because they they are concerned about and and they'll take your personal vi visit as representing ten or fifteen or twenty other votes. Right, you 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 are a uh, uh, representative uh, percentage of of a larger population because obviously not everyone's going to do this, and so they know that you're not you're not. Fortunately, this is one of the cases where you're not alone, and you're considered to be part of a larger group. Absolutely, uh, and people underestimate how much. One voice can make a difference. We just had a lobby day uh, in Lansing for safe schools legislation, and it was a significant uh, event because we had people from all across the state gathering in Lansing for a little bit of training, and then they all went and uh, met with their senator or their uh, uh, primarily their senators because we were lobbying for a Senate bill, but also their House uh, members because that bill will come up in the House as well, lobbying for safe schools. Dr. Julie Nemechek from Michigan Equality. We'll return to the second half of that interview a little bit later. Next is the book report from Keith at Common Language. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. Thank you, David. Since this week's theme is on gay marriage and the legislative process, I thought I'd talk about uh, some of the books we have at Common Language that cover the topic. We actually have um, dozens of books on the topic in our Gay Studies section. Um, there are, of course, also related ones in the Relationship section and Social Issues section um, that deal with it in a, a gay marriage in, in different facets. However, today we're talking about the legislative process and um, acceptance of gay marriage. Um, and there are three books in particular that I'd like to talk about. Um, the first one is Gay Marriage, Why It is Good for Gays, Good for Straits, and Good for America. Uh, this is by Jonathan Rauch, and that's what, it's the author that makes this a particularly unusual um, book. He, Jonathan Rauch is a conservative columnist. He is gay, um, which I know some people consider a contradiction in terms right there. Um, he writes for the National Journal and the New Republic, among others. Um, however, uh, he does lay out an interesting conservative case. Marriage, he observes, is more than just a bond between individuals. It also links them to the community at large. So far from the usual routine of um, talking about how uh, gay marriage is harming the institution of marriage, he uh, builds the case based on this that it actually strengthens um, marriage, both um, for gays and for straights. The second book is Why Marriage Matters, subtitled America, Equality, and Gay People's Right to Marry. One of the things that makes this particularly interesting is, again, the author. This, this is by Evan Wolfson. Um, Evan is the executive director of Freedom to Marry, and he has been involved in the uh, gay marriage issue uh, longer than anyone else. Uh, before this became a cause celeb, um, he was um, fighting for this. Uh, it's because of him that um, Hawaii came close to having 
um, gay marriage before any of the others, and virtually every state that has um, passed gay marriage has built upon his work, and in fact, he's been um, instrumental, uh, whether it's in the foreground or the background. So a fascinating book by the person who um, really started it all. And then finally, I um, wanted to talk about a book called Beyond Straight and Gay Marriage, Valuing All Families Under the Law by Nancy Polikoff. Um, and it's the, the title itself is a little interesting. Um, the straight and gay is parenthetical, so it's beyond parenthetically straight and gay in parentheses um, marriage. Anyway, Nancy... Um, talks about the debate over marriage equality for same-sex couples and talks about it in a little bit different um, uh, way. She talks about it um, uh, in sort of a legal societal way. Um, This is not a dry text, however. You don't have to be a a law student or lawyer to be able to get this. In fact, this has been um, an extremely popular book over uh, the last year and a half that it's been out. Um, She Uh, The root problem um, she talks about from the legal point of view is that marriage uh, has a dividing line between relationships that legally matter and those that don't. Um, Issues about social security, survivor's benefits, um, uh, among other things. Uh, So it's a fascinating civil rights legal um, uh, way of addressing the issue. So there are a few books to look at, and as I say, we have dozens of books along um, on gay marriage in the gay studies section. Um, It's probably uh, in the gay studies section the most written about topic um, over the last couple of years. Keith Orr at the Common Language Bookstore in Ann Arbor. Common Language is on the web at glbtbooks.com, and their phone is 734-663-0036. I'm David Christopher Meitzler, and you're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. at the Houston Summit. to the Gay Radio Collective on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Write us at closets at gayradiocollective.org. You can also find archive shows on our website or the weekly broadcast on iTunes. Support for WCBN and Closets Are For Clothes comes from the community and listeners like you. Hear WCBN anytime at the website WCBN.org. You're listening to an encore presentation of Closets Are for Clothes. 
All right. Let's now return to my interview with Dr. Julie Nemechek, co-director of Michigan Equality. What has not worked? What what have what attempts have been made to create legislation or to to start this movement going, and they've they've failed. Part of what causes the failure is a failure to educate. Um, the tactics that are used against um, inclusive marriage legislation are tactics that are based on misinformation that generates fear and hate. Uh, Who puts out that misinformation? Well, it's put out by a lot of right-wing uh, right groups, um, Focus on the Family, James Dobson in Michigan, Gary Glenn from the American Family Association. Uh, they put out you know, things that have just proven to be false, and, and that's why I think success is inevitable. We're on the moral high ground. Um, you know, we aren't having to resort to lies to make our case, uh, and these groups are. A lot of times, and what happened in California, uh, is people voted for something and they didn't know what they were voting for. There's been a lot of buyer's remorse. People didn't read what was in that law uh, and have regretted that, and the surveys are showing that. Um, that happened here in Kalamazoo with a with a... Uh, civil rights. And that even happens with legislators. I was meeting with a legislature, I won't give his name, who had his name on a bill and didn't realize that the bill wasn't enumerated. That is, it didn't have categories of protection that included sexual orientation and gender identity in a safe schools bill. And he had put his name as a co-sponsor on the bill without even knowing that that wasn't there and had his name removed after that. So reading the fine print is important. Wading through the marketing is important. Uh, and not being scared by uh, the uh, groups that come out and say, you know, look, the sky is going to fall or the storm is coming and those ads that have been used in some states to say that the, the whole society as we know it will crumble if same-sex marriage is allowed. It hasn't happened in other countries. It won't happen here. You were saying that you were speaking with a legislator who, who had his name on a, on a bill until he really realized what it was representing. So that's, that's a whole different issue. That's the, the very legislators themselves who we're relying on to make these policies. They're not even familiar with it, and they could be misled. So it's, it seems like it's really an uphill battle. It is, and I, I think in Michigan um, it won't be through the legislators that change will take place because right now um, the Senate is— um, very Republican-controlled, very—there's, uh, frankly, a number of leaders in, in the Senate that are homophobic that won't even let bills that they think have to do with anything related to gay rights even get out of the committee and have a chance for a fair up-or-down vote. Um, they just block those. Now, fortunately, what's going to happen in 2010 is 18 of the 21 Republicans in the Senate are term-limited. And so there'll be a significant change in the makeup of the Senate um, if there were more friendly legislators to LGBT issues. It might have a chance of a two-thirds vote in both houses. But I think in Michigan, the more likely, there are two other options. The other um, one that I don't think is likely to happen is a, is a uh, constitutional convention. In 1978, uh, Michigan passed a law that said every 16 years, the voters have uh, have to vote on whether or not to have a constitutional convention. And 2010 will be the next time that comes up again. And if the voters decide that they want a constitutional convention, anything could happen in that constitutional convention, including removal of Proposition 2. Right, what is a constitutional convention? It's, it's just uh, where every Senate 
uh, district, and every House district sends one person uh, to this convention that puts forth changes to, in whatever way, shape, or form they want to the state uh, constitution. So it's conceivable that, you know, a, a constitutional convention could throw Proposition 2 and that amendment out of the constitution. It, it seems like at a convention there could be then sweeping changes to, oh. the, com- to the constitution. Yes, and that's why I think it's very unlikely that the voters will vote uh, for a constitutional so convention. It's a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it can be very it's, it's a risky thing, is probably the best way to say it. Uh, you know, they, they didn't vote to have one the last time it came up in 94. Uh, I don't think they'll vote for a constitutional convention in 2010. Which leaves the third option, uh, which is a citizen uh, referendum. In Michigan, it's possible for citizens to write a change to the Constitution. You have to get 10 percent of those people who voted for all the candidates for governor to sign a petition. And once that petition has been signed by that many people, it will be on the ballot. And that's when the marketing begins, the lobbying begins, uh, the publicity begins, and sometimes the flow of money begins uh, to um, to advertising all across the state. You uh, spoke a little earlier about, uh, again, some uh, proposal, I think you said, being in committee. Can you explain where the committee process is in creating a bill? Yeah, once a congressman, a House of Representatives person or senator, creates a bill, has other co-sponsors of it, it's assigned to a committee based primarily on the content of that bill. The Safe Schools Bill is an example that I can talk about. Uh, The Safe School Bill on the Senate goes to the Education Committee, and the Education Committee is chaired by a... um, a homophobic senator. There's just no other way to say it. And he just refuses to even let the bill come to a vote in the committee, which means it can't get to a full vote in the Senate, um, which means it just dies there at the end of the legislative session. So anything that isn't voted on, and, you know, there are all kinds of bills that never get out of committee, but anything that doesn't get out of committee and isn't voted on or gets out of committee and isn't voted on, uh, just dies in a legislative session, and the whole process has to start all over again with the next uh, set of legislators. So it sounds like the committee is really a, a crucial step because if there's oh. – h- how many people are on a typical committee, and, and how many different committees are there within the Michigan legislature? Oh, there's scores of committees, and typically on, on the major committees there's um, 9 or 11 um, people that sit on those committees. They may not all be there for every vote, but that, that's how many there are in the Senate. I think the House is about the same. And, and, and so, yeah, there's scores of committee. The party in power of that particular House of our government is the one that determines who the chairs are of the committees. And so, they, you know, if you're the party in power, you have the privilege of naming the chairs for the various committees. Right now, our House is controlled by the Democratic Party, and the Senate is controlled by the Republican Party. And so the, those, those two parties have the privilege of naming the chairs who have a lot of influence and a lot of power in terms of looking at what bills can come to the committee to be, even be discussed. Once they're voted on committee on an up or down vote, if the vote passes, that can be pa- uh, sent to the uh, corresponding body of the, uh, with or without a recommendation. Uh, I was in 
the House Judiciary Committee when they were voting on hate crimes legislation that would include sexual orientation and gender identity, the first time those would ever be included in laws uh, in Michigan. And it passed, but on a straight party vote. Uh, so it will be voted on in the House maybe as early as uh, this week. Let's return to our discussion on, on marriage. And so let's say that we have a, uh, a gay couple, a lesbian couple here in Michigan, and marriage is desired. They want to, they want to take the next step. They're, and, and maybe they're not interested or satisfied being uh, with you know, the, the local township uh, civil union or, or whatever else. As nice as it is, as good as it is, as helpful it is, they, but they really want to go for the big M. Yeah, well, those are states. They, they can do that relatively easily. Uh, neither Iowa nor California require any kind of residency uh, for uh, marriage. So you can go there, get your license, be married, and come home all on a weekend uh, and have a, a legal marriage that is recognized in that state. Now, when you come home, it won't be recognized in Michigan, but you can still have a party with your friends and celebrate the marriage that you have that's recognized in another state. I have friends that have done that. Others are that have said, no, I'm going to wait till I can do it in, in Michigan. You think there is any issue about uh, people moving? If they, you know, they're moving out of Michigan has enough problems with people staying in Michigan. Uh, would that have an effect on the population? Well, I think it, it, can and it does. As far as I'm yeah, I think there are people that have left Michigan. I know of some who have because of the repressive environment that they feel exists for LGBT people. They just get tired of pushing uphill all the time and, and say, I'm going to go somewhere else. A lot of research shows that uh, states and cities uh, that are receptive for diversity, that celebrate diversity, are economically more viable. Richard Florida wrote a book called The Rise of the Creative Class, where he looked at diversity, and one of the things that measured he used to measure that was issues related to sexual orientation and gender identity in, in, in community laws. And those communities that celebrated diversity were doing better economically. And that shouldn't be a surprise. As far as... Um getting something legal as far as marriage goes and marriage becomes legal let's say it's let's say it's going to happen let's say that it's going to happen in the in the near future and how could it get overturned what would cause that and and what would it take to have something overturned i mean they go we go to all this trouble we make it finally happen and now we and we still have this battle going on and when will that stop oh yeah uh, the same process that we've talked about in terms of getting legislative change in our favor can be used for legislative change that is not in our favor. And I think when it will stop is when there's two or three successive efforts that fail. Um, because of the amount of money involved in waging these campaigns, because of the marketing that we talked about earlier, um, I think that will happen. I think California will be an example. There will be a, a, a ballot initiative within the next two to four years that will seek to undo Proposition 8, depending on the decision that comes down from the California Supreme Court. Uh, if they uphold what took place in Proposition 8, uh, there will be a ballot initiative within the next two to four years, in part because the polling data shows that a majority of the citizens of California want to recognize same-sex unions in some way. 
If we have marriage legalized in Michigan, how will that affect the uh, churches, synagogues, and mosques? It may bring them more business. Uh, It doesn't mandate in any way, shape, or form that any church that does not want to perform a marriage for a same-sex couple has to do it any more than now they have to do it for a heterosexual couple. Uh, if a pastor feels that a couple isn't ready for marriage, he can refuse to perform that ceremony. Uh, that is a legal right uh, that they have based on the separation of church and state. Uh, what takes place in a church uh, is entirely up to the tenets of that particular denomination. So there will be a, a number of churches that will benefit from more marriages and other churches that don't want to do the same-sex marriages won't notice any difference. What about the straight community? How will gay marriage affect the straight community? Well, I think gay marriage will be of benefit to the straight community in this way, that when you have solid relationships that are recognized uh, as meaningful commitments of love, that strengthens the community, uh, that people recognize that there's value to those relationships uh, and the people aren't discriminated against in the workplace, they aren't discriminated against in marriage, uh, it strengthens the community. It increases that bond of community love that, you know, Hillary says it, that takes a, a village to raise a child. Well, part of it, uh, what that kind of bond of marriage does is it recognizes that, well, this couple, if they have kids, is a legitimate couple, and we can share our kids with them, and, and they can go to our same schools, and uh, our schools will be strengthened because of the richness of the diversity uh, they might bring to our community. All right. Now, some marriages don't last. Some marriages end in divorce. What about gay divorce? The incidence of gay divorce so far appears to be uh, actually less <laughs> than the incidence of uh, others. And that that's probably a misleading statistic because it's, it hasn't been legalized that long. Uh, if you give it time, it may catch up with the heterosexual community in terms of divorce happening there at a rate over 50 percent, even among the most religious communities, it's still that high. So uh, the defense of marriage might be better started within their own religious communities before they worry about gay and lesbian marriages because right now they're lasting longer. In some ways, it's too soon to tell if it will be uh, that way or not. But, you know, marriage is a marriage, and it can be rocky for heterosexuals or uh, those that are in same-sex unions. But blessing a same-sex marriage in no way harms any heterosexual marriage. It doesn't hurt it. It doesn't harm it in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't demean it. It just simply says there's another kind of loving relationship out here that is just as valid, just as important, just as meaningful for our community. Now, you said you've been married for 35 years. 37. It'll be in June. 37. <laughs> 37 years. All right. So um, you you must have gay and lesbian friends who would like to get married. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about you having this 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 uh, wonderful part of your relationship, this wonderful aspect of your relationship, and you have these friends who can't celebrate that with uh, in them with their own. Yeah, I want them to have the same benefits that I have, I, I, and that it pains me that many of them don't. Some have gone out of state and and been married in more than one state, and so they have you know a couple marriages. Um, others have gone out of the country to do that, but. Some of my friends are waiting till they can do it in Michigan, and and I want that to happen. Um, I think they 
are in every way entitled to the same benefits that uh, Joanne and I have enjoyed uh, for 37 years, uh, to be able to raise a family and know that if something happened to one of us, the other wouldn't have to fight to keep custody of the kids, uh, that they would be their kids because of the marriage union, uh, to know that if there was something happening in the hospital, uh, that they wouldn't have to fight to be able to have visiting privileges because they weren't in a marriage relationship that was legally recognized by that state, um, and on and on and on. I, I just... Um, I want them to have it, and I'm going to do all that I can to help make that happen. Uh, you said now some of your friends have m- been married in more than one state. So how, can a heterosexual couple do that? Probably, yes. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a strange thing because the marriage is recognized. You know, you can't do it to more than one person, but I guess if you were reading, there's really no need to do it for a heterosexual couple because here's the situation right now is that every state in the union recognizes a heterosexual marriage um, from every other state. And eventually, I think we'll get to the point where that will also be true uh, in most of the states, if not all the states, for same-sex marriages. That, um, And we're starting to see that happen uh, with New York State and D.C. and other states are saying, yes, we recognize marriages that are taking place elsewhere, even if they are, or maybe especially if they are same-sex marriages. So that's, that's like a... a I don't want to say underhanded, but it seems to be a a better way to to kind of kind of bring bring the issue and make it happen by first recognizing you know maybe your state doesn't do it so now let's create a law that says we will recognize any other state. Yeah, I, I think the battle is happening on a, <laughs> a number of fronts all at the same time. Some of it is at the legislative end, some of it as the voter initiative end, some of it's at the state issue, some of it's at the federal level, and some of it is just in terms of what you just mentioned, recognizing the marriages that are taking place in other states and saying, yeah, that marriage is recognized in our state. So some states that may not even have the potential exists for some states that do not allow same-sex marriage to get to the point, like New York State, and say we will recognize the marriages of same-sex couples from other states. What are the arguments against gay marriage, and what is what is a defense to those arguments? The arguments is that, you know, basically they try to argue that it will destroy marriage in some way, uh, that what, you know, polygamy will be next, or religious institutions will be diminished, or, you know, and none of that has been borne out to be true in, in countries or states that have um, recognized same-sex marriages. So the arguments are very spacious ones in the sense that they really don't have any foundation in fact and are just intended to generate the most basic kinds of fears um, that exist so that you know the 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 idea that free speech of a church will be denied. No, that doesn't happen. Um, Sometimes people bring up this case of the church in New Jersey. That church um, denied a same-sex couple the use of their hall that they were receiving a tax deduction for um, because they said they opened it up to everybody and so that's why they got in trouble as long as the church is practicing their faith um, you know it isn't there it's not going to lead to polygamy it's not going to lead to marriage of dogs which some people have tried to suggest you know none of those things that are fear tactics have been uh, born to be true Um, the impact on children nothing anywhere has ever said that the impact on children is negative. You know, when a a couple can be 
in a marriage relationship, it strengthens the bond for any children that they might have uh, because it makes the children have a more secure sense of a home that cares for them and loves them. There are numbers, there are statistics, there is data that backs up the claim that children growing up in a home environment where the two uh, parent, parental figures are married is successful. Yeah, they're just, the National Organization for Marriage has come out with a lot of data that says, you know, marriage reduces the risk of poverty. Um, it, uh, in unmarried households have an increase in crime. Marriage protects children's physical and mental health as well. They do better in school. Uh, and whether it's a same-sex or a heterosexual relationship, marriage makes those changes happen. Uh, in society and in the relationship and, and for the kids. The data is there, you know, and, and what is discouraging to me is that those that would be uh, opponents of uh, open and equal marriage uh, use data that has been refuted even by the scientists they're trying to quote. Um, there's a wonderful website, Truth Wins Out, uh, where it looks at uh, some of the things that are being said and interviews the scientists that are being quoted who again and again say, no, that's not what my research says. Uh, in fact, it says exactly the opposite of that. And as I was saying earlier, I, I think we are on the moral high ground because we don't have to resort to lies and fanciful hypotheses that have never really happened in real life to say. How soon will things change in Michigan for us? That's a difficult question to answer. If it's by legislative process, it could happen tomorrow uh, in terms of the vote's happening and 45 days later it's taking way, place. Could it happen for us or against us? Absolutely. If there's a constitutional convention, it could happen in our favor then uh, after 2010. I think realistically, um, 2012 is probably the earliest that there could be a referendum on the ballot that would undo the damage done by Proposition 2 and bring marriage equality and equity back to Michigan. Who uh, sponsored uh, Proposal 2? It was a group of people that uh, that sponsored it. It didn't really have any one name, but the American Family Association um, was one of the groups that was behind it um, and pushed it very hard. And then other groups from out of state came in to support it once it was put together. The crafting of the language um, probably took place with some lawyers and legislators, and then a group introduced it and got the petitions. It, it takes more than one group. You know, if it happens in Michigan, and I think it's going to be uh, a combination of groups like Michigan Equality, the Triangle Foundation, uh, ACLU might be involved in the process as well in terms of information giving. They aren't a, a C4 organization or a political group. But other groups like that that are involved all across the state helping to get the petitions signed um, so that, that we have more than enough signatures to get the, the, the issue on the ballot, making sure the ballot language is as tight and as clear and specific as we want it to be and get that change taking place uh, in Michigan and hope that it'll stand any efforts to undo it in the net years that follow. I really think that things are changing so rapidly and and, and you see it in state after state after state moving. You know, in, in one week we doubled the number of states that I have had gay marriage. Um, and I, I think that kind of momentum 
um, bodes well for Michigan. Um, but in Michigan, I, I suspect it won't happen before 2012. Julie Nemechek, uh, co-director of Michigan Equality. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. Catch us on the web at WCBN.org and on iTunes. You've been listening to Closets Are for Clothes, and we are the Gay Radio Collective. It's about people, and it's about the community. It's called Closets Are for Clothes, part of WCBN's public affairs programming lineup. Public Affairs Programming airs Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. You've been listening to an encore presentation of Closets Are For Clothes. German war is at an end. We may allow ourselves a brief period after the war, new technology revolutionized the electronics industry. Television threatened to destroy radio, but another invention, the transistor, made radio more important and useful than ever. Radio lives today as a vital medium for bringing news, discussion, and music to millions of listeners all over the world. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.